How are we doing, Revolution? I don't know why, but we always have to do that twice. Like, Justin does it once, and then whoever's preaching has to do it. I don't know. We just have to do it twice. Well, I'm excited to uh, have the opportunity to continue this uh, series. We're doing Summer with the Prophets. We're spending our time kind of going back, looking at some of the Old Testament prophetic books, and, and trying to understand not just what they say, but why we should care about them. Uh, we talked last week a little bit about the reality that for a lot of us, uh, the Old Testament itself is pretty strange and foreign, and the prophets are um, especially so. Um, but what I'm trying to do with this series, we're going to look at three prophetic books, and, and, and something I'm trying to do is just to show you that you can read the prophets, and even if they're a little bit strange and a little bit weird, God is using those books to speak to us today. He is writing them, and He has written them in a way that's relevant for us. Uh, and so we're doing that now. We're looking at Jonah now. We're going to look at uh, Micah and another strange dude with a weird named uh, a weird name um, guy named Habakkuk later, and we'll we'll talk about him uh, down the road. <clears throat> but tonight, I want to talk about the subject of change. Something I, I know we've all experienced at some level, whether it's whether it's you know, physical change or uh, emotional change or psychological change or whatever. That we we've had these experiences in life that brought us from point A to point B. We we grow, we mature, we don't grow, we don't mature. We we have all these experiences, right? Uh, that bring us to this reality that we understand the concept of change, right? Who you were at 14 is, at least hopefully, not who you are now at 20-something or 19 or 30-something, right? So there are all these experiences we can at least understand and resonate with. Um, cultures change. Our culture changes. The things that we approved and thought of in previous generations, we don't so much anymore. Uh, I have a few examples of, of change that I want to show you. Uh, the first is um, a, an athlete. So you can give me that first picture there. Um, some of you might know this guy. Um, this is a man named Ryan Leaf. He was uh, um, an excellent college quarterback um, who was, a, I think, number two overall draft pick um, and also one of the greatest flops uh, in, in professional football. When he made his, his emergence into pro football, he... Uh, had a lot of injuries, I guess, and, and wasn't a good athlete anymore. He changed. He went from one experience to another, right? Some of you are amazed that I've just made a sports reference. Don't get too hung up on that. It'll be the only one I ever make. <laughs> uh, I, I, can, I can vouch for another change. Uh, this one, uh, an experience for me. Let me have that next picture there. Uh, the shoes, sorry, yeah. These were uh, my shoes as a, a young man. Maybe some of you will remember these. These were the Reebok pumps, right? I, I was so excited about these shoes. I was convinced that if I got the right shoes, I could become a better athlete. And by better, I mean real athlete. Um, and so I bought these shoes because the commercial had convinced me if you just push that little orange ball enough times, you can run faster, jump higher, whatever the, the sort of need is at the moment, right? And I bought the shoes, and um, I pushed that orange thing, and I pushed it, and I pushed it, and I pushed it, and I sometimes pulled the little lever that made the air release from it. I'm not sure what the pump did. I don't think it did anything. I don't think it had any actual functional purpose for this shoe. Uh, and so I bought it, and I regretted buying it. I don't think I ever bought a pair of Reeboks again. Change happened for me. Uh, another one, this one I, I can't say was mine, thankfully. Um, I'm sorry if this was your haircut in the, the early 90s. Um, mine was much worse. I went for the, uh, 
the uh, rat tail in the fourth grade. <laughs> that is a travesty in, uh, in hairstyles. But there you go. People don't wear this haircut anymore, right? It changes. I, I don't think people wear this. Maybe you shave your NASCAR driver into your, you know, his number into your head or something like that. But, but not the Nike swoosh. Not anymore. And if you're a music lover in any way, shape, or form, you can appreciate that our culture has changed and we no longer approve of, of this. Not this, but... <laughs> you got the video? Sorry, yeah. <laughs> this is awful. This is terrible. I think it was bad when I was when I was uh, you know when it first came around, but it's it's really bad now. And I don't know how it was so popular for so long. Um, but you can appreciate we've changed as a culture, right? Even as bad as as uh, maybe Justin Bieber is or something like that. It's not, it's not mbop. I mean, wh what the heck is that? I don't even understand what that means. The worst lyrical content I've ever heard in a song. People change, right? Cultures change. We all have these experiences. We go, uh, this is who I was. That's not who I am today, right? I'm not running around with my rat tail dangling off the top of my collar anymore. Who I was is not who I am. Now, if you're a Christian... Your greatest change, your greatest experience has been by an encounter with the gospel. The greatest change that you will ever have, if you're a Christian, is having received the grace of God. The gospel teaches us this. We are all born rebels, enemies of God. We're born this way, God-haters and under his just judgment. Jesus comes because of his great love for us, pays the penalty that we deserve for sin, and if we put our faith in him, we are freed from that judgment. That's what the gospel says. So we have this going from God's enemies to becoming God's friend. Change happens. Great change. The most significant change that we could talk about. But part of what happens, I think, and, and it happens for all of us, I think, at some level, is that though we experience grace... Though we've experienced grace as Christians, we're not always changed by the reality of that grace. And if, the point I want to make this evening, that if you aren't changed by grace, then maybe you don't understand grace. If you aren't changed by grace, maybe you don't understand grace. And, and really, that brings us to the, the book of Jonah, where we started last week um, looking at this person of Jonah and, and kind of unpacking a little bit about his story, uh, we'll see that Jonah is a person who's experienced grace but has not been changed by it. Um, Jonah, if you recall, in, in the beginning, uh, his story begins like this. He's a prophet of God, this, this person who's called to go and speak to people um, about the, the coming judgment of God. And as a prophet of God, he gets this commission to go and speak to an evil nation, a people called Nineveh, and instead of obeying God, he runs as far away from that mission as he possibly can. And as a result, God sends this great storm to capture up Jonah. And, and that's where we kind of left off with talking about the idea of running from God. But, but what I want to talk about today is the reality that though Jonah has experienced grace, he has not been changed by it. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Jonah. 
if you're in the Blue Bible, it will be page 550. We're going to pick up reading where we left off last week, Jonah chapter 1, verse 7, and we'll read through chapter 2, verse 10. So a little bit of reading, but kind of hang with me. Chapter 1, verse 7, page 550, if you're in the Blue Bible. It says, Then the crew cast lots. That's basically they rolled dice. They cast lots to see which of them had uh, offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come, come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get, to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, uh, Jonah's God. O oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish, and he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. He's talking about his experience of drowning here. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O oh Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I, remember the Lord, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And here's my favorite part. Then the Lord ordered the fish to literally vomit Jonah out onto the beach. There you go. This section is really a, a, unpacking for us a, a bit of a contrast. We're getting this contrast between Jonah and the pagan sailors and between Jonah and God. This picture of what we think the prophet of God should look like and what he doesn't look like. And so there's this contrast building here. It begins with, with a contrast between the pagan sailors. And, and in this account, the pagan sailors are much more honorable dudes than Jonah. He is, he is pathetic. Now, it, it, might, it might be a bit surprising to think that... Um, that these pagan sailors could be more honorable than Jonah. Um, but I think if we're honest, I think most of us could say, Christians can have a tendency to be real jerks sometimes. 
Right? We could, so we've had these experiences, maybe. We, we've had this reality, this confrontation, this knowledge of other Christians where it may not be that surprising to think that a non-Christian could be a little bit nicer. I know that's certainly been my experience at various times in my life. Um, and the reality is that though Christians, having experienced grace, should respond in certain ways, should behave in certain ways, we don't. We can still be pretty, pretty rotten. And so these pagan sailors come out looking a lot better. I mean, in this particular account here, we've got pagan sailors who are concerned with God's justice. We've got pagan sailors who are fearful of, of harming a prophet of God. We've got um, pagan sailors who care so much about the, the life of another person that even though Jonah has said, throw me into the sea, they don't want to do it. I mean, they're fearful. They're truly afraid. Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. In verse 9, I'm a Hebrew. I worship, I fear uh, the Lord. That's literally what it says. I worship is what our translation here says. But literally, I fear the Lord, the God who created heaven and earth, land and sea. But he doesn't really fear this God. Not really. I mean, he's run out to the ocean to try and flee this God. He doesn't fear him. The pagan sailors fear him. When the whole, the whole storm begins, Jonah, in his sin, is sleeping in the, the bow of the ship. The pagan sailors are more honorable guys in this account. Even after the storm kind of comes to its climax and, and they throw Jonah overboard, they realize who God is and they offer sacrifices to him and they make vows and commitments to him. That's, that's what Jonah should have been doing to begin with, fulfilling the vows and commitments that he's made. I want to show, uh, I want to show this clip. Uh, it just kind of gives you a picture of, of some of the ways in which in which Christians can fail to be the kind of people that God has called us to be. We, we can be more like Jonah than like the, the pagan sailors in this account. Um, this, uh, this particular video um, takes place, uh, there's a, a, an, an annual Muslim festival that takes place in Dearborn, Illinois. And uh, in this particular video, we have uh, um, some Christians who decided to go to the festival and to preach. Um, and, and the video footage here um, has been edited by this group um, to reflect their noble efforts to preach to these Muslims at their festival. Um, and even in the edited version, I'm completely disturbed by what these Christians um, do. So if we could cue that. Um. We all deserve the wrath of God came down upon Jesus at the cross. One second. Jesus is called the Word, correct? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God.
Is this the love of Jesus? You guys did Is this that. the love of Jesus? Your guys did it. Is this the love of Jesus? Islam is hate. Islam is hate. That's right. Did it's we, funny because the only person preaching did, hate is did you. Did we punch or did you guys punch? Huh? That's did we punch? Like did we punch or you guys punch? You punch. Is this the love of Jesus? Get back. Get back. Get back right now. Nothing like uh, seeing people wear a t-shirt that says, trust Jesus while he punches somebody in the face. Hmm. Now maybe, maybe that's not you, maybe that's, that's not me, um, but I can't help but wonder if the ways that I respond to people, if the grace that I've been given comes out in the ways I respond to people. I wonder if I, as a Christian, am sometimes more like Jonah or if I'm more honorable. Because the reality is is that Jonah is not like these pagan sailors. Jonah does not care about Nineveh. He doesn't care about these pagan sailors. He doesn't care about his relationship with God. Uh, even in the text where he, where he says, basically, throw me overboard, it's not so much a, a throw me overboard so that you will be saved, this, this little ragtag group of sailors. I mean, in, in a couple of uh, chapters here, he's going to be mad at God for saving 120,000 pagan Ninevites. He doesn't care about that. He's got some kind of guilty conscience that he wants to maybe assuage by death, but, but he has no sort of compassion for these people. He has no care for them. He hates them and thinks he's better than them. I, I can appreciate that, that the fellows in the video think that what they're doing is honorable and right. Um, as the video starts, it's just some YouTube video. Uh, as the video begins, though, there, there's the sort of leader of this team talking about preaching the gospel. Um, and I, I forced myself to watch all 13 minutes of that clip and I don't know that you could hear the gospel proclaimed once. Now, maybe they did. Maybe they did. But surely, whatever else happened there undermined the rest of that opportunity. God does sometimes use pagans to rebuke Christians. It, it happens throughout the Bible. It'll happen with, with the nation of Nineveh. Nineveh is part of a larger nation called Assyria. And God is going to use the nation of Assyria to come and rebuke, rebuke his people. He's going to use them to come and to, to, to tell Israel, you haven't been obeying me, so you get to go into slavery. And, and here, I think these pagan sailors are, are an opportunity for us to see clearly the contrast between the, the man of God, the prophet, and, and these men. And to say, one is surprisingly acting more honorable than the other. I recall um, when, I was a, when I was a junior in college or so, 
um, I had been taking a, a couple um, semesters of Greek at that point, and uh, I'm not good at languages. Languages have always been difficult for me. And this particular class was extremely frustrating for me because we only had one grade. Whatever you got on the final exam is what you got for the class. And so I had terrible anxiety about this exam. And I would go, and I'd, I'd pick up the exam, and I'd take it home. He let us take the exam home, and if I were a different person, maybe I, I would have just gotten better grades in the class uh, um, and, and cheated. But I didn't. I went home, and I tried to do the exam right, and uh, it, it, it was sort of, we had the opportunity to take as long as we wanted, as long as we had the exam back by 5 o'clock. And after four and a half hours of trying to get the right answers on this exam, I finally turned it in and got straight C's. And part of the problem was not that the test was so hard. Um, it was that I had such terrible anxiety about whether or not I was going to pass this class. And I remember my professor was just, he was a great guy. Uh, he had been raised a, a Southern Baptist, but had gone to uh, Yale Divinity and had learned that all this Christianity stuff was nonsense, and so he wasn't a believer anymore. And, um, so, so he wasn't a Christian. I was. He knew who I was. And I sat in his office to review my exam, and he looked at me and he said, David, I don't understand it. For a guy who says he believes what you say you believe, and for a guy who says that he believes the big picture of life that you say you believe, I can't fathom why you get so worked up about a stupid exam. Man, do you know how stupid I felt? I mean, here is this, this guy who doesn't believe the Bible, doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't believe the big picture that I believe, telling me, if that's what you believe, why don't you act like it? Man, that's devastating. Man, that's pathetic. But there's this reality that though I've been changed by grace, there are times where I've, I'm not living like I've been changed by grace. And in the bigger picture, if you haven't been changed by grace, then maybe you don't understand it. That seems to be the case with, with Jonah. Jonah has already experienced the grace of God. The fact that he's a prophet tells us that. Uh, you can't become a prophet because your dad was a prophet. It wasn't like you inherited some family business, right? Prophets and sons or something like that, right? I mean, that's not the, the, the business. It, it, it's not like becoming king. You, you don't get to be a prophet that way. You only get to be a prophet if God especially calls you to it. So Jonah's already experienced some level of the grace of God in that he's been given this great honor and great responsibility. But in spite of that, he is still a completely self-absorbed, selfish, and rebellious prophet. He's not as honorable even as pagan sailors. Well, in another contrast, we see Jonah... And, and God, and clearly they're different, and that might be you know, the biggest understatement of this, this whole sermon. Um, God's pretty different than all of us, but there are some ways that the text is set up here that actually paints a picture for us that this is what Jonah does, and this is what God does. And the two don't even come close. In fact, they're exact opposite. And the story is set up this way to paint this picture of us, uh, for us of what Jonah's supposed to be like. There are, some, uh, there are some scholars who think that, in a lot of ways, Jonah's personal story parallels the story of Nineveh itself. So, so God warns Jonah, I'm sending a storm, Jonah. Repent, turn around, come back to me. God's going to do the same thing with Nineveh. Nineveh, repent, turn around, um, come to me. So he's giving this, this warning. Uh, as Jonah sort of cries out uh, in, the, in the heart of the sea there in chapter 2, in the, in the belly of this fish, cries out to God for mercy, God rescues him. In the same way, Nineveh's going to cry out for mercy, God's going to spare them judgment. 
But like Nineveh, Jonah's repentance is really only temporary. We read this, this picture in chapter 2 of, of this desperate Jonah crying out for salvation, ready to do exactly what God calls him to do, ready to, to be the man of God, and yet, when, when it all sort of clears up, he's not really changed at all. He's got a, a complete hardened heart to where he, he goes and he preaches this message, but he does it kind of begrudgingly. Yeah, I'll do what you want, God, but I don't like it, kind of an attitude. That's not really obedience. We, uh, I, have, I have two kids. I have a, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and we, we have a rule in our house. You haven't obeyed mommy or daddy until you've done it with a happy heart. Right? So we've, we've got this little saying. Um, it's cheesy, I, I know, but we have this little saying that goes, um, you have to obey all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. So if my daughter goes into a room and she picks up all her toys, but she's throwing those toys in the toy box and she's griping and complaining and whining about daddy's making her clean up her toys, and well, that's not obedience. Right? You may have done what I've asked you to do, but you didn't do it with the right heart, and that's not honoring your mother and your, your, your father. That's not honoring us. And it's the same way with God. If I obey him, but I obey him with this begrudging spirit, if I obey him with this, this kind of, I hate you and I hate what you tell me to do and I, I really don't want to do it, that's not obedience. That's not what honors God. That's me being a two-year-old or a four-year-old or a 29-year-old. Yeah. So Jonah, though he's experienced grace, has not been changed by grace. Look at the way he talks about God in chapter 2 there. He, he says that God is a, a God of mercies, that he's one who rescues from the jaws of death. I mean, picture this. Jonah tells us in verse 3 that it's God who threw him into the sea. I mean, it was the sailors who threw him into the sea, but Jonah says, this is God's punishment on me. And yet, God spares him. God rescues him. Jonah didn't deserve that. Jonah deserved to sink to the darkest pit of the ocean with seaweed wrapped around his face and worse. But God spares him. He's loving. He's gracious. He's merciful. Even in the midst of what he deserves, he gets God's grace. But that's not who Jonah is. Jonah goes through all this experience, and he's not like God. He's not willing to show mercy. He's not willing to extend grace to the people of Nineveh. I mean, I kind of think about it, and I think, how do you spend three days in the belly of a fish, I mean, probably in and out of consciousness, barely alive, how do you spend three days like that, come out and not be changed? How does that happen? Of course, it happens to all of us at some level, doesn't it? I mean, not the whole fish bit, at least I don't think anyways. Um, but that is to say, I've experienced the grace of God in profound ways. And yet I can think right now, there is a specific group of people that I have a very hard time forgiving. A group of people who I felt wronged me, wronged my pastor at the time, who've done and said some very hurtful things. And it is, it's hard for me not simply to hold on to bitterness, but to want to hold on to bitterness. And how can that be? How can that be that, that though I'm a sinner and God has saved me, I withhold grace from somebody else? How can that be? I'm like Jonah. 
And of course, it happens all the time. I, I had a friend who got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And in that moment, in that moment, God was all he needed. And then he got cured. And he didn't give a rip about God. Life was fine. He's experienced grace, comes out on the other side and hasn't been changed. A story like Jonah's warns us that it is absurd to experience the grace of God and to turn around and withhold it from somebody else. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, while God had every right to hate us and leave us and abandon us, he loved us. If you aren't changed by grace, then maybe you don't understand it. Because really, that's the gospel. When we didn't deserve salvation, Jesus died for us. And Jonah points us to the gospel. Turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 12. Page 584, if you've got the Blue Bible. Jonah spends three days in the belly of this fish, comes out experiencing the grace of God, comes out and is unwilling to extend the grace of God to the people of Nineveh. And there's another story that parallels this one. It's a lot like it, but it has a completely different ending. Look with me, Matthew 12, starting in verse 38. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Now, that's, that's a ploy. They don't really want a sign. They just want a reason to accuse Jesus to the authorities. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh, will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the pre preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Jesus tells us here that the sign of Jonah, Jonah's being in the belly of the whale, the fish, three days and coming back, is a sign that points down through the ages to Jesus being in the heart of the earth three days and coming back. But the difference is this. When Jonah gets rescued from the brink of death, he is still unwilling to give grace to others. And when Jesus comes back from death itself, he gives grace to all people. And Jesus says here that on Judgment Day, that the nation of Nineveh would rise up and judge those who heard the gospel and refused to repent because in their day they heard Jonah preach and they repented. But here's Jesus preaching and these people won't repent. Friends, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're here tonight and you, you don't buy any of this stuff. It's just garbage. You don't believe it at all. You think it's ridiculous. You think it's nonsense. I want to offer you an opportunity to investigate further, to consider carefully the reality of what you may be throwing out, your only hope of salvation. Maybe you're here tonight and you are a Christian. You've experienced the grace of God, but you could think right now, there are people that you intentionally withhold grace from. You do not love them. You do not want to love them. You do not show them mercy. You refuse to show them mercy. 
Maybe there's something, maybe, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe you've got something that you just, you hold over your spouse's head all the time. You did this to me. Maybe it's, maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a group of people. There are those that you think they don't deserve mercy. Neither did you. Neither did I. And God would have us all wrestle with the reality of Jonah as a warning to say it is absurd to experience grace and refuse to give it to others. Pray with me. Jesus, what can I say but, but thank you? Thank you that you are gracious to a people that do not deserve grace. Thank you that you are merciful to a people who do not deserve mercy. Thank you that you are kind to me when I am, when I am unwilling to show kindness to others. Lord, I pray for those here tonight who need to hear this message and need to receive you as their only hope of salvation. I pray you would work mightily on their hearts to challenge them to see that they are in desperate need of you, that judgment awaits them if they don't repent. And for those of us who are believers, who, who we can think right now, there are those people that we hate, there are those people that we refuse to love, there are those people that we don't show grace to, Lord, Lord, challenge us, change us, that we might rightly show that the gospel is in our hearts. I pray this in your name and amen.